I'm Simon from Kent Libraries and this is On The Books, the library show born out of lockdown that talks about all things written word, thoughts, ideas, inspirations and much, much more. So sit back, relax and enjoy the conversation. Today on the books, we're on the road. I am not in my usual slice of Canterbury. The current lockdown has made things a little bit more difficult. So I am today sitting in my own home. I'm not telling you where that is. With the wonderful <laughs> Lisa Cutts. And we're going to talk about everything and anything related to crime <laughs> literature. Hello, Lisa. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hello, Simon. I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you ever so much for asking me to do this. Oh, you are more than welcome. I've been looking forward to chatting to you. So, so it's been so... Let's hope this is a good one, really. <laughs> I like to start, and we've done a few of these now, and it has become my starting question. And I do know that it is cruel, but I like to start as I mean to go on. Um, and that is the question, what book changed your life? Oh, uh, it's behind me on the shelf. It's called Into the Darkest Cold Mouth by Elizabeth Haynes. Ah, right. It literally did change my life. At the time, I was working in uh, Kent Police's major crime department at headquarters. Um, I've, I've since moved offices, but I was working at uh, headquarters and I went on holiday, as you do, and I took a stack of books with me, as I always do, and my Kindle. And uh, I read a book a day. It was a lovely holiday. It's very relaxing. Madeira is great, but there's not a massive <laughs> amount to do. Yep. So it was literally a book a day. And uh, I read Into the Darkest Corner and it changed my life because at the back of the book, it gave in the acknowledgements lots of thanks to people who were serving police officers, were people I knew, people I'd worked with, friends of mine. I was thinking, who is this woman? And it turned out that Elizabeth worked in uh, FIB, which is a part of headquarters. She was literally in the office above me. And because of, <laughs> because of security, I couldn't go into her office, she couldn't go into mine. So I didn't know her. We were feet apart from each other, the floor between us. So I, I emailed her afterwards, obviously in my own time, not in yes, yeah, uh, okay, yeah, police time. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I said, you know, I loved your book and I genuinely did. And uh, I just, you know, giddy with excitement that there was an old author that I was sitting not far from me. And um, she said, would you like to meet and have coffee? And, you know, could I, a bit cheeky, but could I pick your brains and ask you a couple of things about these procedural stuff in major front? Absolutely, of course. And we became friends. And she is the most enthusiastic, inclusive person I think I've ever met. And she encouraged me to write. She's a big, big advocate of NaNoWriMo, which is obviously the, the month we're in now. Yep. Those who don't know, it's the challenge to write 50,000 words in a month, which I've never achieved because obviously <laughs> I'm working full time. But um, it, she was so enthusiastic and encouraging that I literally, at the end of a half hour having a cup of coffee with her, went home and said to my husband, I see, I'm writing a book. He said, yeah, right, okay. You're going to be a landscape gardener last year. You went out in a vineyard the year before. And I said, no, no, I'm really, really going to do this. I'm really going to do this. And, uh, and I, I just sat down, to be honest with you, didn't know what I was doing. The enthusiasm far outweighed the expertise. And I just um, sat, we're pretty much where I'm sitting now, but um, different chair, different computer, and just started writing. And um, the Nina Foster books came out of that. And it was a 40-something-year-old Detect, woman detective who liked a glass of wine and investigated murders for a living so obviously there wasn't a massive amount of imagination in the character <laughs> but Elizabeth and her book literally changed my life. That's amazing that is absolutely amazing that someone was that close and you just didn't have a clue that's fantastic for those of people who aren't aware and didn't listen to the intro Lisa is actually a serving police officer <laughs> she has a little bit of an advantage when it comes to writing crime novels I think we're going to ask about that later if that's considered cheating but there we go <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I never thought about it as cheating but yeah I suppose it could cross the line a bit yeah it's amazing though that you, you you think you see these names on a book and you see these names on a cover and I'm been doing this actually I've, I've found it myself and you suddenly realize that people that are these these disembodied names that write this stuff that you are enthralled by are human beings not very far away from you and it's been amazing actually doing the on the book series because of Kent authors I've suddenly sort of been putting faces to names and didn't realize they were all that close now I've walked past them in the street probably it's, it's amazing isn't it it really is yeah definitely so the book the book basically inspired you to write your own. Yes, yes, yeah. it did. Yeah, that's cool. That is very cool. <laughs> yes, in fact, actually, I was going to ask, but you kind of preempted me with, with oh. the Nina Foster. It's like, sorry, <laughs> yeah, it's like, 
how much of a stretch was it to find Nina's character? I started writing it and um, it was one of those things where I thought, what do I know? Um, I haven't got time to do any research. What, what can I just sit down and just pour out? It was a quite cathartic really, because every time um, something bad happened at work, I'd say, this is all nonsense, said Nina. Um, <laughs> and it was, uh, well, it was in, it's in the first person, which was one of the reasons that I moved away from the Nina font. So it was, I said, obviously, as Nina, uh, this is all nonsense. So the police really winds me up because of the politics and the paperwork. And, but it, it was quite therapeutic to get that out there. But it was also, um, I did have to approach the Kent Police's legal department and just say, look, but first you have to get secondary employment clearance because you have to do that whatever whatever your job or uh, activity just in case you cross a line and i also wanted to make sure that Lydia wasn't doing anything wrong because it's not based on actual investigations they're not based on real murders i'm investigating but i wanted to just show people um that the police the investigation that you you see on the news that that, that snippet in that it, it's just a couple of minutes you know people haven't got any idea what goes and they shouldn't do because hopefully murder is, is so rare and, and unpleasant that it really shouldn't touch them but I wanted to just get across to the reader all the things that go on behind the scenes and some of the humour as well there is mm. a lot of humour in the police and and some of the funny stories I had just if I'm honest things that that colleagues have told me I always sort of say can I just have a quick word you know that really funny story you told me uh, can I just because it was a couple of colleagues went out and um, they went and did an inquiry they got in the car they started driving away yeah one of them said hear that there's a cat in the car and the cat had followed them out of the house and got into the, got into the back seat of the car and i couldn't help myself so anyway remember remember i put it in there so i did say do you mind obviously i'm not going to use your names because it's two different characters but can i put the cat story in there she yeah, of she can. but obviously i embellished it and they drive off and they've got miles and then they realize they've got the cat because yeah. it just fitted in with the story so things like that i have openly peeped but I always ask their permission and of course they're nameless if they choose to remain nameless. <laughs> yeah, I was going to actually ask that. I was going to ask... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's great. It's brilliant. It's like how often has real life kind of snuck into fiction being that you live in that environment, you work in that environment. Um, it's got to it's got to influence that. That's what I was thinking. Well, you've just answered that, which is perfect. Um, <laughs> but what I was going to get to was how much do you have to exaggerate real life when you're putting it into fiction or how much would it surprise the, the reader that actually what you have put is either toned down or not exaggerated at all? Some of it I've, I've written and an editor said, I, I don't really think that's likely to happen. And I've said, actually it has. Yeah, right. And they, oh, okay. but I don't think people will believe you because it's just too coincidental or it's too bizarre. Um, and you think, well, okay, you know, truth is stranger than fiction yeah. so there, there have been occasions where I think well I'm probably gonna have to change that other people you know readers will just think you've orchestrated it even if it's actually something that that you've experienced so um I've, I've always made sure I've always prided myself on the fact that the police procedure aspects are spot on as, yeah. as I can no. but uh, there are occasions where I think well I probably need to move it away from that particular aspect because it, it may also seem like I am just writing about a particular murder that I've worked on, whereas I haven't. But there have been times when I've got literally halfway through writing a book and then they've said, um, we, we, we have a, a, another incident, so you need to go to wherever. And some of the circumstances are the same as what I've been writing. And I've had to go and see a supervisor and people know what I'm doing and say, uh, I've got to tell you this. <laughs> yeah. I've been writing this for months and, and it, it, it's kind of mirroring what I'm working on. Um, so that they're like, we, we trust you not to, not to just, you know, take your notes home and retype really them up. So um, I think that sort of answered your question. I'm sorry, I went off on a bit of a tangent. No, no, no. Tangents <laughs> are great. I love tangents. It's much more telling. It, the joy of doing this has been hearing authors actually speak about their experiences rather than just maybe answering a set question. So tangents are fine. Keep going. Tangents. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I suppose I was going to come to the, the yeah, you get to that stage where you're like, ah, oh, I'm writing this and it's, it's way too similar. I better stop or yeah, I, I, that, that sounds crazy, but I can see that actually happening. That's, that's quite, that's quite insane. Or you turn into being Angela Lansbury uh, and you know, murder she wrote and you know, you never invite, invite Jessica Fletcher to, uh, yeah. to a dinner party because someone will die. 
That's absolutely, and it's one of the reasons I moved from the Nina Foster books because they were all in the first person. I didn't want to come across, she's not supposed to be superwoman. You will never, ever, ever, I don't care how good an officer you are, you will never investigate a murder on your own. There are a team of anywhere between uh, 40 and 100 people doing various parts of it. I don't mean they're all investigating at one particular point in time. So I was quite keen to not have her as superwoman, yeah. um, which is part of the reason I moved on to the East Rise series that I, I started, which I also, I've got this agreement with um, Kent Police that I won't set them in Kent, but it's yes. a uh, an incident room on the coast where you can see France on a good day. <laughs> it doesn't really take much code oh, crashing to work out. I'm talking about Folkestone. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I just wanted to move away from the first person. So I, I took one of the characters, um, Harry Powell, who was a DS in the Nina Foster books, promoted him. He was ever so pleased, moved him down to the post <laughs> and gave him his own incident room and yeah. then put him through all sorts of hell. Um, poor old Harry. Really has. He's had a tough old time as Harry. Um, so it, it was it was good to move on in that aspect as well, so that I wasn't just in what I was writing. Right. And I, you, you, you do have to, you just have to personally I have to keep moving. But I know some people have written 12, 15 in a series, and that's great. Um not saying I would never return to either of those yeah. series, but I just feel I need a new challenge, something different. That makes sense. You've got to write what's true to yourself, really, haven't you? Mm -hmm. um, you've got to write what works for you. At the end of the day, you are writing it. It's It, it might be for the consumption of the, your audience, but it's you that's going to put it on the page. So so that makes sense to me. I do like the fact that you can actually see France from Boobery House. <laughs> I, no, I, I probably exaggerate that. You can see the sea. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, on a really clear day. I mean, if you're angling down towards Dover, um, yeah, the windows don't go. I mean, I've had the joy of working in Boobery House. As, oh, have you? As a um, as an independent, I wasn't a police officer, but I was working for Kent Police doing something when I when I came out of um, law school. I was doing some work for them. Okay. So, so I do know Boobery House actually. Yes, yes. <laughs> Not from the point of being arrested. I just want to point out. <laughs> There's definitely no view of France from the cells. So I know you're telling us right. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, right, yeah, okay. So, I suppose the the question I want to ask next, then, is in light of what we've been speaking about, is what inspires you to write? Having loved books, and any writer will obviously say that, but having loved books so much, the fact that I've written books that some people have loved and and enjoyed, and I, I just this morning I had um, an email from Myriad, who are my publishers for the, the Nina Foster books from a retired police officer who has read all of my books and loved them and it was just such a lovely email and it was only a few minutes before I started this interview with you oh, and right. um, it just really, you know, you think somebody's read them and loved them and enjoyed them and they saw exactly where I was coming from and, and I suppose it's about entertaining people really because what I've decided to do, um, the, well I'm writing a cosy crime uh, now yeah. and I've loved it i've absolutely loved it i found it's um quite it is a different tone and it's a different not even as much a different pace but just a different mindset and and i think cozy crime is probably more about entertaining people i mean you, you don't probably pick up a, a book about murder and, and some of the grim stuff that i've covered in the book to, to be i hope to be entertained it's um it's more of, of a reading experience that you'll enjoy and take something away from i hope but with cozy crime it is more about enjoyment and yeah. i think it's just the fact that someone's picked up a book that i've written and they've read it and they say well that, that was really good i really enjoyed that what else has she written and that's just a great feeling that someone's enjoyed it in some way and yeah. and, and taken something away from it no that, that's okay that that's i can't that was a bit waffly as well no, no. I'm, I'm, <laughs> just, I'm, I'm picking an answer and i'm trying to find anything to and it once again, it makes perfect sense. It's if you know you, someone gets enjoyment from what you're doing. I mean, to be fair, anyone who creates something, if someone else enjoys it, that is that is the ultimate compliment, really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, although I'm not on a sort of moral crusade, um, every one that I've written, I've tried to tell people a, a little bit of a story and very well, obviously a lot of a story. Yeah. But um, Messy Killing was um, I worked on a, a historic child sexual abuse investigation, which was. Um, really tough going for us so what the survivors went through I can't even imagine and um, I didn't want to write about that because that's not my account to give that's their account to give should they choose to but it, it, 
struck me is what if we were investigating the murder of the offender who had abused all these people when they were children? How would our DI, DCI come into the incident room every day and boys up to go out and find the murderer? Because a part of you is going to say, well, look what they did. Do I, do I really want to find the people who have killed him? And of course, none of these, these people who were abused in the investigation I worked on, nobody did anything out of line. Nobody, there was no hint of anybody taking the law into their own hands. But of course, people don't want to live in a world where the law is just, people are taking the law into their own hands. But I, it just struck me, how would he get us going on the investigation and how would we carry on through? And that was where Harry Powell's, the first stage of his misery started in, in Mercy <laughs> Killing. <I> mean, <laughs> poor old Harry, uh, because he's the DI in the investigation. I mean, I have to say, with Mercy Killing, um, you were very good at making your question assumptions. Now, I'm quite weird, and I do get that, because I come from, I was very heavily trained to be into the advocacy side of, of law, where you do not go with the judgment. You, you, it's a weird mindset, and people do not get that when you are trained to go in and go, it's not my place to make this call, it's this body here that makes that call. Um, everyone has human drives and everyone thinks you know things but you you have to separate that out when you're doing that side of things so but it does make you question it it's like because you are talking about someone who's done horrific crime um and you do question you do, it does make you really question so so i was going to ask was i mean that was obviously intentional and I, you've just explained where that came from um, that that whole sort of but at the end of the day justice has to be justice for anyone from any walk of life the system has to work i suppose that would be my way of looking at it being the person that advocates the system but but i get completely where you're coming from with the whole how do you get yourself to be do the best you can when in the back of your mind you're thinking that person deserved it and human beings are like that we are like that aren't we we believe you know that certain people shouldn't be treated certain ways because they've done things in the past so uh, yeah, so you've actually gone into all of that, and I've just, <laughs> it. but um, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 I found it really interesting, Mercy Killing, because of that premise, you know, and you've you've carried on in your novels challenging sort of assumptions, especially about policing and attitudes, and and so that's a conscious choice on your part, I take it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not going to um, say everything about policing and everything about Kent Police is absolutely marvellous because it's not, but what I do think that the police is quite good at and it's often overlooked is it does adapt in a lot of ways mm. to modern life and we're probably still far behind in, in technology but um, we do react to things and we have to because that's, yes. that's the whole that's what you do as a police officer you react to things around you um, and, and I do think that, that there is a, a very forward thinking element um, in a lot of policing that probably just gets overlooked because there's so much goes on behind the scenes and so many meetings and strategies and all sorts of things going on that in day-to-day -day policing it doesn't really affect you but you do need to obviously be aware of, of how things are evolving and, and it has I mean even from you know I joined in 96 and a lot of things were quite ad hoc about so your CID training yep. it was you know the DS oh, anybody who hasn't done it put your hand up well, I'll put you on the list whereas now it is much more structured and professional and as it should be I mean we all got there in the end we all had the good training that we needed but you know it is now it is a lot more of a pathway of development rather than oh there's a space who wants to go you know <laughs> yeah. I mean not that long ago it makes me sound like a bit of a dinosaur but you know we're only talking like late 90s but it's just you know the whole the whole to it is different well i mean the police um has gone through radical reforms at different stages you know in responding to i mean pace is the perfect example i'm not going to go into that for the audience because they're not going <laughs> to let's leave that alone um but you know the reaction to the 70s but that did actually want me to bring me to question that's slightly personal how did your dad react being an officer when you decided that you wanted to be an officer um, he didn't really say all that much really if i'm honest um he was in <laughs> He was in the mayor and obviously I'm in Kent, so um, it was never, it, and pretty much as I, he retired the year before I, I joined. So there wasn't really much of a crossover anyway. Um, and yeah, I mean, it wasn't kind of, oh, that's brilliant or don't do it. I think he was quite proud, but it wasn't like, well, I don't think you should. You know, it wasn't, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I wanted to do something that was a bit meaningful and I'd heard him talk about murders that he worked on not in any great detail obviously and I just thought wouldn't it be brilliant to become 
somebody who works on part of a team that investigates murders and puts murderers uh, in prison. And that was the whole aim of it, really. Yeah, we, we need to move off from the policing, although it's fascinating. And oh, I'm, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm just thinking in terms of our audience, thinking about the literature, and we're like, yeah, we're talking. Yes, about yeah, we have gone a bit off. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to ask another question uh, from my um, from my list of questions, um, and I'm going to ask the one that's very self-serving. Normally, I'm in my library when I do these, but unfortunately, as I said, I'm currently not able to be there. So what do libraries mean to you? It's not just about the books it's somewhere that you can go and you can just listen to what other people are talking about and what books they're picking up and I do find actually um usually I, I hang around the returns trolley right. <laughs> because I think if someone's borrowed this it's probably quite good um it may not have enjoyed it but if it's a book that's um, been returned quite recently then I think oh, if no one wants that I can have that but it's also it's somewhere that you can get obviously books for for Free. You can borrow books and all sorts of um, audio books these days and downloads. But also, it's somewhere that you can go, and you know that you can approach the staff. You can speak to the staff. It's a place that you feel comfortable and safe. Sounds a little bit of a naff thing to say, but it's a space where you can just be and sit and either chat to staff, read a book, just relax really. Yeah, and I right. think there are. A bit of a haven, I think, is probably a good word. I like haven. I mean, I don't mind safe. Safe's actually quite weird. We'd like people to think that they were safe in our mm. libraries. Um, it's nice to hear you say that. It's because, um, from our point of view, you know, we are a service that, I don't want to say gets overlooked, because we don't, and we know that we're important. But you don't hear very often what you do for people. You, they come in, they do stuff, they, you know, they, they leave. You don't kind of realise just how precious libraries are to certain people and and long may it continue to the high ups <laughs> yes no i know absolutely I, I just think what a horrible weird place it would be without libraries i just uh, and i think we take them for granted because they're just always like the nhs is there isn't it everyone moans when it goes wrong um but you know you, you hurt yourself you go straight to the hospital or you ring your doctor um same with, with libraries they, they're just always been there and I remember as a kid going to the, the mobile library yeah. when it used to go round to the used to sit in the pub car park um, and I just remember you know thinking there's a whole van of books that's just around the corner two roads away from where I live <laughs> how brilliant is that you know and I can borrow whatever I want and yeah. you know as a kid I read the Eli Blyton books I couldn't afford to go and buy them and most kids probably can't I mean I know these days you get downloads for 99p but you still it, nothing's the same as just picking up a book and holding it. I, I, I love a download because it doesn't mean you can literally take a thousand books on holiday. You would obviously yes, do that. But I just love holding a book. It's a completely different experience for me. I completely get that. Um, we are very proud of the, the digital offer that we give. And actually, lockdown first time saw a massive jump in our digital offer, which we were really happy with because it showed that people were still reading. And I know that during lockdown, book sales and reading shop through the roof so can't complain from my point of view um but yeah i mean a physical book i there wasn't talk when the kindle became big didn't they that the books were dead and uh not in any way shape or form we still love a book but i mean they've, they've become cheaper and that's the best thing because they're no longer the really expensive thing that you can get your hands on yeah and i think um we we had um, a labrador that um blessedly passed away before christmas but it, what did it for me was if I was ever reading a Kindle, he would nudge it out of my hand with his nose. If I was reading a book, he wouldn't bother me. <laughs> That's really insane. Cool. I know. Yeah. <laughs> a really bizarre, really bizarre thing. So I thought, well, there you go. My dog prefers books to the Kindle. Then there's no competition. But they, I mean, they are great because you obviously you can just sit at home, click on a button, you can have the book delivered to you, especially through libraries. You know, wonderful. Really wonderful. Since you mentioned Kindles. We obviously live in a world that's device driven. I mean, we all carry, I mean, what we laughingly call phones. I love the fact that we still call them phones in our pockets. <laughs> they haven't been phones for a very long time, have they really? Um, no. Although I do remember getting my first ever mobile phone where all it was green and black screen and all I could play was snake on it, you know, and it, you could see pretty <laughs> text. I think it was a Nokia 3310 if I'm really, really, you know, and they were all small, that's what they were going for. And now it's all these huge, well, they're computers, oh, yeah. aren't they? Um, 
But going back to the question, so we live in a world of devices. They are everywhere. I mean, the younger generation are glued to them. Um, walking down the street, I'm surprised people don't walk into things more often. Um, but do you think the written word still has a place in a world of screens and devices? Definitely. I think one of the reasons as well is people like to show other people what they're reading. Right. And of course, you can only do that with a cover. Um, and, and, and again, I, 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 was, um, I did an event in a bookshop in Canterbury and um, my first one, never forget, is the, the cover is in two different colours. There's, yep. um, although these are two different books, they're, they're in that same colour. Um, there's a blue and there's a brown. And a lady was buying one afterwards and um, she, said, she said to her friend, um, I don't like the blue, I'll have the brown. And I thought, well, it's exactly the same book. And yes. Apart from the colour, it's exactly the same cover, but I thought that's really interesting. So I think that people are naturally drawn to something tangible that they can hold as well. And it is literally, she judged the book by its cover. Uh, <laughs> and there's a, there's a reason there's that saying, isn't there? Uh, well, you can't judge a book by its cover, it's obviously the same. But um, she did make a, an assumption that she would prefer reading one colour to the other, which is a bit, little bit strange, but yeah, that was her choice in her mind. But I, I think people... Do, I mean, I've got a growing bookshelf behind me, and um, if that was, I've got to be honest, I don't really know what I've got on my Kindle that's unread, right. but I know every book behind me that's unread. Right. So I'm only going on, and it could be an age thing, obviously being brought up with books rather than devices, but I think people will always want to pick up a book and read it. I think there's something quite interesting about it, and I, I you know, you look at the scale of um, autobiographies and, and annuals and hardback books at around Christmas time. Um, people don't digitally send each other twenty pounds. No, no, that's true. They do physical, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you know, you know, having said all that, it is wonderful, as I said earlier, to go on holiday with a thousand books in your handbag or whatever, which you couldn't do if they were in paper. Well, you could. It'd be a very expensive flight, <laughs> wouldn't it? Or need your own trailer if you were going on holiday in this country. Yeah, it's like, what are you taking with that shipping container? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Just my library. <laughs> library, yeah. Um, I'm sort of, um, one of the people I've interviewed, Joseph uh, Coelho, he was talking about the modern age, although it's device-driven, it's still actually massively word-driven. So the written word still has a place because social media is predominantly, I mean, you've got images, but a lot of it is short-form Twitter, for example, short-form words. So it's interesting. But yeah, I think books, you're right, they're not going anywhere. Not anytime soon. There is something wonderful about smacking yourself in the face when you fall asleep with your book rather than your Kindle. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> okay, so as someone, if someone is trying to begin to write it, write, I want you to give some advice now or how you deal with it. Because the one thing I've learned doing this is every writer approaches everything differently. And that's been wonderful to hear that there is no right way to write. But you have the dreaded blank white page screen in front of you. How do you start? I used to, and, and this saw me good for six books. Right. <laughs> Bit of an idea. Right, I'm just gonna sit down and hit the keyboard and see what happens. Yep. And I just kept going, and I because I did have the benefit of if I was working on a murder, what could happen? What would be a likely next step? You know, the, the the bloody knife is found, or a witness comes forward, or there's something on CCTV. So I had that benefit, and so if I ever got stuck, I just kept going with that. The downside of all six of those books is that they have taken quite massive rewrites and edits. Right, if you're starting out. That's sort of so far in the distance. You're probably thinking, well, I just want to get the words down. That's great. Um, I've taken the very unusual step of now actually planning what I'm writing uh, in the <laughs> one I'm doing now. But I've actually found it's working really well. And it could be that I've had a little bit of a break because I haven't written anything for a while. But I've found that it's flowing a lot more naturally because in my head I'm thinking, right, okay, this is where this next bit comes in. But what I would say is if plotting doesn't work for you, don't do it. Because yeah. I, I've, I found it very boring that need the thought of plotting a book because I think well if I know what's happening then I might not be as interested as I would be if I didn't know what was happening and I, I've got to keep the reader turning the page yeah. button. and I thought if I just keep going keep going and I'm surprising myself then hopefully I'm going to surprise the reader so the downside of that is when you come to the end you have a lot of rewriting and editing to do but for a very first first draft 
you know, um, debut, somebody just starting out, just get going, just keep, um, somebody, Harlan Coburn, I think it was, said, you can change bad words, you can't change no words. He's absolutely yeah. right. If you've got 20 blank pages, there's nothing you can do about it. You've got 20 pages that aren't quite right, just keep going, just edit it, change it. Once you've got those words down, and it's lovely to see the word count go up as well, <laughs> and you think, right, really, I'm halfway through, I'm three quarters, I'm nearly there. You know, it's lovely to see that. Yeah, so it's, it's little victories with the word count. You just see it ticking over. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, I was going to ask about plotting as well, actually, um, purely because... Oh. No, 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 don't. It's great. Um, it's nice to know we're on the same wavelength for where I'm going to go with this. Um, purely in terms of crime novels, obviously. You, you, I mean, obviously, you're, you were much more police procedural, although it is interesting you going into cosy crime. Um, Actually, my, well, I might change my question very briefly and go, for the, the uninitiated, what is the difference between the procedural and cosy crime? I'd say, in a nutshell, it's probably police procedural is much, much grittier. Yep. And the murder is the all-consuming thing. It's all about um, how the police are going to investigate that and how they're going to get the perpetrator and get them um, put in prison, although you, you normally it doesn't go yeah, it doesn't the, matter, yeah. by the trial part. Cozy crime, the murder, I wouldn't say the murder isn't important, but it's almost kind of not that central. It's yeah. all about the characters, the setting, telling um, telling the story and building up the mystery and a few red herrings, perhaps. Um, and it's a bit lighter, really. I mean, I, I love the Agatha Raisin series. Um, I've, yeah. I've been, I'll just love my books. Um, and if I could just create something like that that would give anybody as much pleasure reading as it is, it's given me over the years, um, you know, then how, how brilliant um, would that be for me? No, that makes, yeah, that, I, I get where you're coming from on that one. Yeah, that, that I'm sure that you will. I really am sure that you will. Oh, thank you. I mean, obviously, MC Beaton is just like one of my all-time favourite authors and you just think, wow, you know, um, the amount of books over her lifetime she wrote you know it's just incredible absolutely incredible and also brilliant too well on that note oh uh, sorry careful viewer the cat has decided to <laughs> <engage>. um, <laughs> i knew she would she can't resist the camera um <laughs> on that note then what authors do you admire respect or love who, who would you be your inspirations as an author because the christie's always been my favorite um i love all of her books and I probably haven't read them all but I've read most of them and yeah. and can read them again as well which is something I don't normally do um but it would be Agatha Christie um and you know I've, I've met so many brilliant brilliant crime writers as well over the years that have become um friends and people that I've done lots of different events with Julie Wasmer, I know you know Julie, um, her book's incredible. William Shaw, they're all people I know. And I, you know, not only are they lovely people, but their books are so good. And you just think, wow, you know, when, when you're chatting to them and, and they say, oh, yeah, I've got this idea. And, and now and again, you know, um, somebody might ask me for a bit of police procedural advice. And I'm like, oh, just get on and write it because I want to read it. You know, it's, it's just. Uh, it's just lovely. There's just not enough time in the world to read all of these books. But um, yes, yeah, so definitely they definitely. Agatha Christie and, and MC Beat will be my most favourite authors, but um, there are so many others as well that I just love them. Yeah, it's that. I mean, MC Beat is ridiculously popular at the library. Her stuff goes out um, just out the door, like like no tomorrow. And Agatha Christie is never going anywhere. In fact, there was a. Uh, I'm, I'm a geek. The, 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 the constant viewer is now realising just how much of a geek I am. <laughs> There's a Doctor Who episode where they say that Agatha Christie is read for the entirety of human history it's 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 all to do with the, the fact that she disappeared for a while her disappearance when her marriage disintegrated but yeah they they, they make that all fantastical but the, the the punchline of the episode is that she is she is read for the entirety that humans read books which is a really nice you know thing to say i've, I've seen that episode and it's one of my favorite and it's ah, right, okay. yeah it's just so good and um i've got i, I don't know if i've still got it but it was one of the very old Agatha Christie books with a massive big wasp on the cover. Yep, yep. And I was like, oh, but that was, I don't understand. Oh, it's the time-space continuum. Anyway, <laughs> another tangent there. <laughs> I don't even know what a time-space continuum is. I, I don't quiz me on that. <laughs> we'll make it up. I think that's what they do. <laughs> Science fiction, you're right. I just make it up, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Okay, moving on from that then, is there any one book you wish you had written? If you could have written any one book, what would it be? Probably the book that stuck with me the most, that I read as a child, was 101 Dalmatians. Okay. Um, but that's just sprung to mind, and I don't really, that's a really good question, and I don't really know why I've just thought of that book. That's why I like it, because people usually jump with their first answer, and that's yeah. the thing. Yeah, um, and not just because of the Disney franchise and uh, everything, <laughs> but it was just, I just remember reading that book as a, as a, I don't know how old I was, eight, nine, I've got no idea, but just loving it and just thinking, what a fantastic book and being slightly disappointed when I saw the cartoon. not <laughs> <laughs> quite what the book does, is it? Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, it was, um, oh yeah, that's a great question. Thank you very much. <laughs> Just so you know, you're not the only person that has said 101 Dalmatians. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Someone else oh. also said 101 Dalmatians, which is quite interesting. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I think I want to move on to something that's a little bit more, I don't want to say serious, but important. Lockdown. We are now um, just to, to, to time this and put this into time because we're in lockdown two point whatever it is. Um, we've we've dealt with 2020's first lockdown, but beforehand and especially especially with policing actually linking back to what you, you do, I know the police has a massive role in this now. Mental health or uh, positive mental health has become a, a very hot topic. I mean, it should have been for a lot longer if you ask me, but it's become quite important. So I like to ask authors where you think reading or writing fits in with positive mental health? Reading, absolutely, because I think the, the thing about picking up a book is you can take yourself off anywhere in the world and you can escape where you are at that time. I, I, if I'm honest, during lockdown, I didn't do any writing because I just wasn't in the right frame of mind. Yep, fair. In, the last, in, in lockdown one. Yeah, lockdown um, one. Yeah. I, I didn't do any at all, um, but was incredibly busy and um, I took on a sort of a new role and I was, I was doing a supervisory role, so it was all new to me. So I, I didn't really have time to spend on writing and give it my full attention because I had other things going on, which is probably a little bit of a telltale sign of, of things are obviously, they weren't right for people, including, although I didn't feel that I was under any particular mental pressure, I did know that I couldn't clear my mind enough to write. Now, I think having come out of the first lockdown with um, quite a lot of optimism, I was able to then start writing and, and it, was, it was great. And I felt that I was in a better space than I had been for a long time, just because I needed a little bit of a break even before lockdown. Um, but I think with reading as well, I had read a few books at the beginning of lockdown. Yep. And then I'd stopped reading and... Um, I'm currently reading Dear Mrs. Bird, which is absolutely phenomenal. Right. Absolutely okay. loving it. I can't put it down and I keep thinking, right, I've taken a few days off to do some writing, but I really want to finish reading this book. Because it's just, although it's, it's set, as you know, during the Second World War, it's yes. not a, a good time in history, but there's a lot of humour in it. And I'm taking myself off to a different time and place. And I think that's the most important thing about reading. It just sparks your imagination. And it, it often makes you think of other things whilst you're reading. Yep. And the same with audiobooks as well. If if people haven't got time to, to sit and read, I think audiobooks are brilliant because I've um, done some gardening in the summer and I, I've just had my headphones in listening to a book. And it, gardening and reading, well, having an audiobook read to you, I mean, you can't get more relaxing than that. I was almost <laughs> homophobic in the garden. So I think it's really important that people allow their minds to have a little bit of a holiday from where they are, as difficult as that's been during lockdown. Yeah, no, okay, that, yeah. Um, I agree with the audiobooks actually. I mean, audiobooks have almost brought the art of storytelling back. Actually, I, you know, um, I, you, I, I, I'm quite a big history fan and I like going to English heritage events. And quite often in the summer, like a few years ago, they had storytellers that would, would just come and tell you a story. And you were captivated by this person that held your attention, just telling you a story. And human history has been the history of storytelling. We have always told stories. So I kind of like audiobooks because it is kind of that, that again, you know, you plug yourself in and like you say, someone is telling you a story. It's just, it's absolutely awesome. So yeah, I'm with you on the audiobook front. I mean, I think that is absolutely the way forward. Um, well, no, I like to read too, but you know, you're right. Plugging in an audiobook is, is absolutely lovely and can transport you. Absolutely transport you completely and utterly. 
So yeah, I can't find anything to uh, to even remotely disagree with you on it. <laughs> 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 do, do you have any books that you return to? I mean, you know, you say you don't do it very often. But you said like 101, you might reread again. Do you do, do you ever return to it in books? Um, I I tend not to um, unless I I've been enjoying a series and I want mm. to just remind myself of what the last instalment was, but. Um, I don't normally return to a book. So apart from Agatha Christie's books, I have reread some of them. Um, and I think that even if you know the ending, because they're so brilliant, it doesn't matter. Yeah, they're, really, you, they're beautifully written, aren't they? You know exactly. It, it trundles yeah. on perfectly. And it's such pace so well. And yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I, I'm different to you. I do, I return to books quite often. I find them quite, um, quite comforting to go back to certain stories I've read before. Um, mainly actually with the mental health thing it's almost like the this is my safety blanket type thing mm. i feel i'm wrapped in a, a world i mean i read lord of the rings once a year every year because i am a geek i've said before um with the audiobook i got my friend for the first time ever to not read obviously but listen to june which is one of my favorite books ever um and she was like i would never have read this but i'm so glad i listened to it so so oh I mean, yeah um i don't know where i'm going with that point let's just move on <laughs> I mean, I think the great thing about audiobooks as well, if you've got somebody who's partially sighted or perhaps they even, you know, their, their reading isn't great, um, they can still enjoy the book. And that's what it's about. It's about enjoying it rather than, um, as I said earlier, people, you know, sitting on trains, not at the moment, but holding up a book and people saying, oh, aren't you clever? You're reading that. But it, it's not about that. It's about you enjoying <laughs> what you're listening to or what you're reading. Yes, very much so. Very much. So. Sometimes I might wonder if people are sitting there with certain books going, look at me, I'm reading this book. I'm not really reading it, I'm just doing it so it looks like I'm reading this book. There's another book inside you, really. <laughs> that they're actually enjoying, yeah. <laughs> um, moving back, once again, returning back to um, the crime um, for a second. How do you, I mean, I'm imagining, um, Part of the other part of our job that we do here is, 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 is in the library is actually registration. So we deal with death registration, and mm. you you end up developing a I wouldn't say I would say a dark sense of humour around it because you you encounter grief and that all the time. Um, so I was going to ask in the policing there must be a very dark sense of humour going on with some of what you're coping with. Does that do you find that filters into your books? Do you, do you want to get that across, or do you shy away from it? I definitely try to, but there are occasions where I don't know that it would always be appropriate. Yeah, in, in yeah. the real world, as I call it, people, oh, they don't do that. Do, you know, I mean, I've been to horrible, <laughs> horrible, horrible, horrible houses. Um, and I I wrote about a thing in, in uh, Never Forget where they go into a house and it's, you know, and the, the woman's smoking all over her child. And uh, I did a, um, I went to a, a reading group one evening and, and these very lovely very lovely ladies were well if you happened to come across a child in those circumstances wouldn't you call social services and take the child away and I thought you haven't really no. got an idea of how many of if you took every child away because its parents were smoking near it there would be a lot of children in care um, yeah. Needlessly, in a lot of situations, I'm not saying it's all right to smoke over your child. Of course, I'm not. But the child might be perfectly fine, other than the fact that their parents smoke. And they kind of missed the point, really. And I thought well, that didn't, that just didn't translate well into your world, because fortunately, you don't live like that. Um, so I have, in the past, stopped myself from writing other scenes like that, because yeah. I think a lot of readers just, just won't comprehend that that's not acceptable. Right. Okay. No. Yeah. Right. That's that's a really interesting answer. It's it, it's it's just great listening to the choices that go into what you put on a page. Um, I, I think the process of writing is completely alien to a lot of people. They don't understand how you get from your idea in your head to what goes on the page and the sheer level of work that goes into creating or deciding or choosing what actually finally ends up out there you know um and i think it's fascinating to listen to, to authors sort of talk about that process because it's enlightening because you, you suddenly go oh right i hadn't really realized that that level of care or concern or or just 
things you have to think about in order to get what you want on the page happen. So, so I find that also really fascinating personally. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, it, it's been it's been really interesting for me as well. You know, just going through stuff with an editor where I've written one scene in second book where I I'd had the police officer that their mobile phone's battery had run out. Yeah. And she said, well, obviously that would never happen, would it? Because a police officer would never go out with a battery that wasn't fully yes. charged. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you're right. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> so, uh, yeah, quick rewrite there. Yeah, okay, you're right. That didn't work. Yeah. So uh, it's just funny, like you say, the things that, that end up on the page that didn't you didn't necessarily think you were going to head that way. But... You don't, did you ever want to go, they're human beings, police officers. They're fallible. They make mistakes like everyone else. Sometimes they don't see the blindingly obvious or they make yeah. a stupid mistake. And other times they see the sublime. I mean, it's just, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I really am curious, if you weren't writing crime, what other genre would you fancy having a go at? I, I suppose it would be more sort of tending towards just contemporary fiction yeah. of more more aimed towards women, I guess, yeah. mainly because more women tend to read. I I think general sweeping sweeping generalisation um, tend to read fiction more than the most men. Mm. Um, so it's probably something the kind of books over the years that I've I've read because I probably only read about one in three as crime fiction because if I'm writing, I find it distracting. The last thing you yeah. want to do is then subconsciously sort of steal a huge chunk of one of your <laughs> one of your colleagues at work but also I find it a little bit off-putting so when I'm writing I tend not to but I, t I read anything really it's any kind of fiction whether it be historical or women's or um kind of even though you know sort of a rom-com chiclet I quite enjoy that now and again just a, a bit of a, a light easy read it's, it's just great fun and, and I enjoy that but I suppose it would be more just general fiction for yeah. women's fiction really. Yeah, no, no. I mean, variety, isn't it? You, you, you can't, you can't. We like to pigeonhole people, but the reality is that people aren't pigeonholed. <laughs> we made, made up of a very whole range of different influences and, and likes and dislikes. And I don't know why we like to do that. It's like, oh, they must be right crime, therefore that's must all they think about. I don't know, I don't know why we do that. Well, I think publishers like to do that because they want to be able to say to potential readers, you know, if you enjoyed that then this is similar. And I guess, you know, in the library, you need to be able to put it in a certain section of the library. But um, it is helpful. It is helpful to be posted in the right direction if you're looking for a particular thing. But also, some of the best books that I've ever read and enjoyed have just been, I'm going to pick that up because it's um, there on the shelf in the library or it's there on the, on the shelf in the bookshop or uh, I'm going to download that one because that looks like it's my sort of thing. Yeah, I was once given a piece of advice by a teacher and um, it's stood me well in life. And it goes to like what you were saying about being at the returns point of a library is that um, he advised me that if you ever recommend to read a book, read it. You might hate it. It might it might not be your cup of tea in any way, shape or form, but it's been recommended to you by that person for a reason. And it could be very telling about them or you know, just introduce you to something you would never have even contemplated picking up before. So yeah, that has steered me well over my life. I've ended up reading things I would never have touched with a barge pole and actually ended up loving it. So yeah. No, absolutely not. I, I recommended um, H.G. Wells's, I think it was, it was either The Time Machine or The Invisible Man to a colleague yeah. who said, science fiction, I don't think so. Read it and said, that was amazing. Yeah. And and I was like, well, yeah, it, he's written many more. Yeah, <laughs> So it just goes to show, that, as you said, I recommended it because I just thought it was something completely different for her. I mean, the genius thing about H.G. Wells is when he was writing. That's the bit that he always gets me. Oh, and I know. It's like, it's like, hang on, he was writing then and he's talking about concepts that are current now. I mean, you see it in, I mean, it's just so ahead of his time in terms of, I mean, the um, time machine is just an amazing story. I, um, <laughs> I, I could whitter on about H.G. Wells for ages. Oh, going but to I don't think they've covered that in uh, Doctor Who yet. Have no, they had HG? Oh, there you go then. They have. Yeah, uh, they touched HG Wells. Why? It seems like a pretty obvious choice, wouldn't you, really? Yeah, I would have thought so. Perhaps they just thought, you know, too much time travelling. Yeah, too much time in one <laughs> stuff. I mean, I mean, really well. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is they say. <laughs> Bow ties are cool. No, let's. <laughs> oh. 
I was watching one. I'm sorry, I'm going to go off another tangent. I was watching one of the episodes yesterday um, with the haunted house. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but um, with uh, Gemma. No, what's her name? Gemma Louise Coleman. And oh, Matt, yeah. Oh, trying Emma to... Grayling. Emma Grayling. Is it the psychic? Yes, um, I think so. Yeah, that was that was. I haven't seen that for a long time. That was so good. Okay, who's your favourite doctor? See, I'd have to go with Doctor Who because he was my doctor growing up. But I have to say, David Tennant was a whole new right. ball game. And then along came Max Smith. I don't know. It's all so difficult. I'd have to go with Tom, Tom Baker because he was my doctor growing up. Yeah, okay. I get you that. And, and, and his voice. I mean, his voice. Oh. Is just, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, what about you? Who's yours? My favourite doctor. Yeah, see, it's a hard one. See, I'm. I came into Doctor Who when they, BBC had started to run it down the first time around. So I, I really came into it with Sylvester McCoy. I just sort of caught the, the crossover between, um, was it Pete Davidson and Sylvester McCoy? Um, yeah. So I just caught that crossover. So I came sort of into Doctor Who when I was growing up with Sylvester McCoy and then sort of latched into the, the older ones. And, and obviously um, Tom Baker was, the, it's always the scarf on the hat, really. I mean, um, yeah. You know, um, the modern ones, it's hard ones. See, I, I loved David Tennant. I mean, I quite like Chris Eccleston actually. Just yes, yes, you know, fantastic. I'm getting really off. I mean, but I love David Tennant. Um, Matt Smith. It took me a while to warm to. I thought Peter Capaldi was really good, but his, the writing for him wasn't fantastic. I thought yeah. he'd been much better. Than, I mean, I really liked a darker, more broken Doctor in light of everything they'd done with the storylines before. And I don't think the writings um, served, um, what's her name, Jodie, oh God, her name's gone out of my head. Um, it's Jodie Whittaker. Jodie Whittaker. I don't I think it's Jodie Foster then. I don't yeah, know. not Jodie Foster. <laughs> I don't think the writings served her too well. I mean, no. I think she's, a, she's a really quirky, interesting doctor. So to answer your question, I would say, actually, I know which one was my favourite doctor, John Hurt. Oh, the, day of the, doctor, the The special episode they did where they had all three. He he was very good. He was very, very good. Well, he's John Hurt, isn't he? He's brilliant and everything. But yeah, yeah. yeah um, but no, if I had to do one of the series, I would probably go with Tenon. I thought Tenon, um, especially his ending, I don't want to go. That, that yeah, yeah. Well, up. <laughs> yeah. No, it was. I was watching him. Well, I don't, we don't want you to go. Well, I stay. Stay. Well, I mean, Matt Smith. I mean, he, he, he jumped off running. I mean, he, and he became very, very intricate as, the, as he went along, actually. I mean, I, th I think Doctor Who gets disparaged, but it's actually got some really interesting ideas running all the way through it, you know, and the way that they do the, the, the character of the Doctor is quite fascinating. Um, would you ever consider writing screenplays? Oh, yes. And, and uh, probably my biggest dream in the whole wide world would be to write an episode of Doctor Who. Right. But I don't yeah. going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> I don't even know where it's wibbly wobbly timey wimey. I'm not even sure what the, the right saying is or what the time space continuum is. So they're probably not going to come knocking soon. But that, oh, that would be amazing. I, I got ridiculously excited when one of my favourite authors of all time was announced that he was writing Doctor Who uh, a couple of episodes. And I have watched those religiously. Um, so my favourite author of all time uh, is Neil Gaiman. Gaiman. Oh, Neil right. Gaiman. Um, the book that changed my life was Neverwhere. The first time I ever read that. Um, right. One line. It wasn't so much that the the uh, um, they turned the light down as they turned the darkness up, and that was it. Wow. Was, you know, it's just like that whole concept. I wanted to write, wow. but yeah. Um, so yeah, we're going completely off the top. I'm talking about me. Stop <laughs> <spot> that. <laughs> I suppose. I. I mean, we've had a wonderful chat, but we're going to have to sort of start wrapping up. So I suppose I really need to ask, what's next for you? Well, the cozy crime that I'm writing is the start of what I hope's a new series. Um, yeah. setting Tisha's part of Kent um, is um, an amalgamation of many small villages and uh, some of the beautiful parts of the country. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that um, if, if that takes off, then that could be my my next series. But I've, I've always in the back of my mind had returning to Nina Foster at some point, And it was always going to be three to four books. Um, yeah. and, and as I said earlier, I, I ended up moving away from those and, and writing the East Rise series. But I would still like to to write another Nina Foster book. I'm probably about a third of the way through it, and it would be good to have the new series and then some more Nina. And you never know, perhaps an episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Who. 
Oh, wouldn't that be great? I mean, um, Don't Trust Him came out this year, isn't it? That's, so that's the last of the Harry Powell for now. Um, yes. Yeah. 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 Did you, did you, um, when you got to the point where you think, I'm not going to do any more, was that a relief or was that uh, uh, just a, you know, we'll see where I go next? It was a relief at the time because I'd, I'd enjoyed writing them, but I felt that the time had come to end that particular series and move on. And I think I, I needed a bit of a break as well. I was changing roles at work, so I needed to give that my full attention. And, um, you know, it, it's as great fun as it's been. It's always been um, a job that I've been around leasing so I got to the stage where I thought well I can't I don't want to do two jobs badly so I need to concentrate on one until I'm in the right place to to continue and now I, I am and I'm I'm loving writing again it's it's really been great I probably haven't enjoyed writing as much for, for a good couple of years and I think that that probably tells me something that I just needed that break which is yep. great no, no, if, if you've got the joy of it, that will also come across in your writing, actually, to the other end. If you've got a love for it again, then that will that will translate to the reader, I should imagine. Um, do you, this is just going to sound like a strange question. Did you find it easy to write a man as a woman as your main character? Um, I'm just curious. From the Harry Powell? Yeah, getting in the headspace. I did actually find it quite easy um, because Harry was a bit of an, somebody, one of the officers I used to work with did ask me one day who I based him on. And I, was, <laughs> and I didn't want to be rude because this person had been my boss at one point, but I said, um, he's kind of the boss we all really want. Right. He's the boss that will stand up for us, who will, who will put his own neck on the block and will make sure that his team come first. And, and I think once I kind of got into that, it was a lot easier to think how he would think as a man. And I also get, although my husband never reads fiction, um, <laughs> obviously I'm making read mine. <laughs> and I like, to, I like to think, you know, he's a, a retired police officer. He would say, well, why would you be thinking that? Why would you be doing that? So it was also um, having somebody just um, doing an in-house editing for me, I suppose. Um, but I actually found him quite easy to write because I suppose over the years I've worked with so many yep, fellas yep. and you know my dad was pleased when my husband was pleased and I think that helped me get into the mindset as well a little bit easier than otherwise I would have been able to. Yeah I mean I've always been fascinated by um, you know women who write men and men who write women and whether or not they get them right um, it's just it's just a, a thing in my I think in my head really because you know I don't think that the sexes are actually massively different and anyone who does say that I think is really really quite silly but 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 we don't always think the same <laughs> we don't no, absolutely right we don't i mean slightly on that note how how was it being in you know as a woman in the police force which was really heavily male dominated for quite some time i mean it's not anywhere near as bad as it used to be but when you first went in it was quite heavily male dominated um there was probably on the intake I was on roughly about a third women, two thirds men. Um, there used to be a lot less women because when women um, got pregnant and had children, they tended to go on a career break and then not really come back because the yeah, jobs weren't yeah. there for them. Um, now it's um, a completely different setup, and the situation is you know if you if you need to work flexible time or, or part time. Um, for childcare, then it is a lot more approachable and a lot more meaningful than it, it ever was in the past. So, I mean, now I I probably work with probably nearer forty five percent to fifty percent women, and and I've sat in an office on, on many occasions in major crime and looked around and thought, actually, there's no men in here; <laughs> it's all women. Um, and so I suppose it's just a change of the way things are, and you know, you, sometimes there's you know, you look up and you think that these are all men, you know, it, it's, it's just changed. It's just evolved over, over the years, yeah. really. Well, you'd hope it would evolve. I'm just wondering, I'm trying to think of TV series. And actually, yeah, there's some really strong female detective characters out there now, isn't there? Yeah, it's good. Just, just, just musing in my head there, really. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note of that rather strange musing, I have to say, I think <laughs> we have run out of time, which is oh. a real shame. 
but it's been oh. an absolute joy to have you uh, on the show. It's been fantastic just to chat with you about everything and everything and Doctor Who. I mean, who would have thought that? <laughs> oh, thanks so much. It's been wonderful. Thank you. It's been really good fun. I've, I've really enjoyed myself. Just a quick note. How far away are we from your new novel? How many years are we down the line? Oh, um, if somebody um, kindly said, yes, we'll publish it, it would be next year. I, I'm hoping to have it finished by the end of this year uh, in its first draft. And, and then I mean, an editor might say, oh, I don't think so. This is nowhere near ready. Let's start again. But um, oh, hopefully yeah. I'm not too far off track. And uh, the fact that I've enjoyed writing it either means it's flawless or it's rubbish. It's one of the two. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really hope that we see it relatively soon. And I can't wait for it. Thank you very much. Thanks ever so much, Simon. Thank you. Cheers. Well done. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening to yet another On The Books. Lisa's work can be found in the library or at any good bookshop. If you'd like to know more about our digital services and offers, then please visit kent.gov.uk forward slash libs, linked below. Or if you'd like to know what we're up to on our social media, follow our Facebook page, also linked below. This is Simon from Canterbury Library, signing off.